0: Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. That's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. And Jerry's over there, and this is Stuff You Should Know podcast, N- NPR edition. No, no, yeah. Bob Ross edition. Oh man, there's a documentary out about him. Yeah, I haven't seen it, but I will for sure. Oh. Speaking up. Can't wait. I saw Bloodsport for the first time in my life the other week. The movie? Yes. Have you seen it? No. Oh, Chuck. I mean, I saw parts of it, but. I love every second of that movie. (laughs) It was so great. They basically made a movie to show that Jean-Claude Van Damme can do, like, crazy splits. They made a movie for that.
0: Yeah, the only version I would watch of that would be, like, the Riff Tracks version. You don't even need Rift Tracks. Yeah, but they make everything better. (laughs) Sure, of course they do. But I I would love to see a
1: Rift Tracks Bloodsport. I'm just saying, it's a pretty great movie worth seeing. Yeah, the the bad guy in it is just terrifying because he's like so clearly insane. Oh, really? And like uh, dangerous. Yeah, like this guy is operating on a level no one else in the movie, including surprisingly Ogre from Revenge of the Nerds, is operating on. He's in it. Yeah. Wow. He's the, the trusty sidekick. Wow. Yeah. What happened to Jean-Claude? He's still around. I What's think he's all over like Twitter. Ugh. Well, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. <laughs> I think he, like a couple times
0: a day he tweets like, Hey, it's me, Jean-Claude Van Damme. Remember? Yeah. Uh, well, he had that big commercial that was out not too long ago. I didn't see that one. Where he did a split between like two trucks or something. Um, like with one leg on each truck, <laughs> like crazy. driving down the road. <laughs> yeah. If I remember correctly. Oh, he's
1: reading his Kindle. Is it a Kindle ad?
0: I think so. <laughs> uh, and I think I didn't see him, but he's, he's got to be in one of those dumb, uh, what are the movies with the, all the people with Schwarzenegger and Bruce Willis and, uh, Oh, uh, The Last Lund- Temptation of Christ. Yeah. Yeah. He's in one of those movies <laughs>
1: <laughs> with, Oh, Oh, Red. No. The Expendables.
0: Yes. He's got to be in one of those, right? Probably. He would literally be the only person of that elk not in those movies. I hope he is. Yeah, me too.
1: Uh, I saw Red the other day for the first time, too. That's pretty entertaining. Was it?
0: Yeah, I haven't seen those either. Some Some stuff just, you know, yeah. Let's
1: get serious, Chuck.
0: All right. Yeah. Okay. Are you ready? Well, we talked about Jean-Claude Van Damme, and that can only mean one thing. Uh, Gettysburg Address. (laughs) Right.
1: (laughs) That's right, man.
0: Uh, Well... Oh, uh, here's, a, here's a
1: better question. Okay. have You you saw Lincoln, didn't you? I did. I didn't.
0: <laughs> oh, but you didn't? I
1: know enough to know why we're talking like this, though.
0: <laughs> Supposedly, that is an accurate depiction of Abraham Lincoln's speaking voice.
1: Yeah, I read this article in The Atlantic. It was one of those things where the guy who's writing the book, like, writes a, a long draft of the book, but in article form. Yeah. And they publish it and the, the words that remade America is the name of the article and the book by a guy named Gary Wills. And he says like, yeah, Abraham, Abraham Lincoln was a tenor. Yeah. Who had a voice that you could very easily describe as shrill.
0: Yeah. I remember when I saw the first trailer for the Lincoln movie, I think like most people, like the internet kind of blew up the next day. With, sure. Like, what is going on with Daniel Day Lewis?
1: Hey guys, I'm Abraham Lincoln. <laughs>
0: Um, so you did not see it? Not yet. I intend to. You know, here was my deal. I thought it was quite dull. Mm. And I went into it expecting a bit more of a profile on Abraham Lincoln's life. Isn't it more like about a two-week period or something? It's really about, uh, trying to get, uh... The The emancipation proclamation? No, it's it's trying to get a a vote passed. Um, I just can't remember the exact amendment or whatever. That that shows how much I was checked out. The thirteenth, fourteenth. It was a very, very in depth look at the process of. Oh wow. Passing like legislation. I see. It it was kind of dull. For then that's just me. I was like, "Where's all the action?"
1: Yeah, or it's that shootout that Abraham Lincoln had. Yeah, I want him running around with a sword, freeing slaves.
0: (laughs) I think that's Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter that you'd like. I probably should have seen that one instead. But, I mean, Daniel Day-Lewis is great. It was just a little dull for my taste. I see. So I'm in the minority, probably. But
1: this was just like sliding on an old suit then, reading this article, right? Like, you're familiar with all this?
0: An old boring suit. (laughs) A little bit, and I want to be a Civil War buff. I keep trying to like, <laughs> work myself into it. <laughs> yeah. Like reading, I got a, a book given to me—one of those big, huge books. Oh, they all are. Oh, and I just like—I just can't quite crack it.
1: Huh? Have you tried World War Two? Maybe that's more your fancy.
0: No, I just—I need to buff it up. I see. You know, Civil War buff. Because are you I gonna do
1: recreate stuff.
0: No, although I did just see—I uh, did a hike at Sweetwater Creek uh-huh. State Park uh-huh. this weekend. And they were, um, I didn't know it was a deal. I was walking down the wooded path and there was a camp with a bunch of, uh, union soldiers and their ladies in authentic garb sitting around the campfire. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what's going on? Like, cause it wasn't a big reenactment, like a big battle thing.
1: (laughs) It was just a Saturday night.
0: I don't know, man. They were just, looked like they were just camping in, in period costume. Maybe they had practice that day. Maybe. That's weird. I thought it was interesting they were Union soldiers, too. Um,
1: did they pretend you were a time traveler? They did.
0: <laughs> I showed them my iPhone. <laughs> and they were like, what devil's magic I is did. this? I uh, did. Anyway, it was just weird. Well, let's it, talk about, let me ask you this. Okay. I have
1: another question. Did you have to memorize the Gettysburg Address? Because no. this article on the site basically says that All students had to, and I don't know that that's That's true. I don't know anybody who had to memorize the Gettysburg Address.
0: No. We had to remember a part of Caesar's address for English class. Mm -hmm. I come to bury Caesar not to praise him, blah, 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 that whole deal. Mm -hmm. Friends, Romans, countrymen. Sure. I I memorized that in high school. Did you have to, or did you just do it on your own? Yeah, I was just bored. (laughs) Like I was playing basketball one day, decided to stop and... (laughs) I'm trying to think what I had to memorize. No, I had to memorize that, which, now that I'm older, I think that is, like, what a terrible way to teach. It is. Like, memorize this, these words only. Like, there was. They'll have no meaning for you. No, we weren't taught what the thing meant, really. It was just like, recite this.
1: I had to remember, um, I had to memorize the song, Surrey with the Fringe on Top, for a transportation play in sixth grade. Really? Mm hmm. Chicks and geese and... Chicks and ducks and <laughs> geese better scurry when I take you out in Missouri. surrey. When I take you out in Missouri surrey with, with the fringe, fringe on top. top. Very nice. I was not expecting that in this episode.
0: Jerry's over movie? here just <laughs> snickering. because we haven't started yet.
1: <laughs> All right. So the Gettysburg Address mm-hmm. is a uh, surprisingly small document. That's one of the reasons why apparently school children have to memorize it. Because it's just short. Yeah. But it would not be uh hyperbolic to say that it changed the tone of American politics forever. Yeah. From this very short speech that Abraham Lincoln gave on the Gettysburg Battlefield w- when it was being dedicated as a national cemetery.
0: Yeah. So let, let's talk a bit about the background. Uh What was going on that day in November was, like you said, we're going to open up this brand new national cemetery, Pennsylvania, where so many people died. At the Battle of Gettysburg. Uh,
1: Yeah, and a lot of them died.
0: Yeah, from July 1st to July 3rd, 1863, uh, Robert E. Lee and the Confederate Army uh, butted heads with the Army of the Potomac. Um, I think there were soldiers from like Ohio, New York, a couple of other states. It was it was a a lot of troops under George uh, Meade, General George Meade. He was a new general at the time, Mm -hmm. um, southwest of Harrisburg. Yeah. It and was like
1: one of the, it, it might've been the first
0: battle fought in the North. Yeah. There weren't a lot of Northern battles. No. Do you, do you ever read the Confederate markers here in Atlanta? Here or there? They're all over the place. Yeah. Like it's, it's just kind of weird sometimes like to drive a mile from my house and see like, well, this is where so-and-so pushed back mm-hmm. an army of a thousand. Right. Like right where this playground is. Yeah. It's just very strange. I They're try all to read over, Like
1: every 10 feet, there's one down here.
0: Yeah. Um, But like you said, not a lot of battles up north. Um, this was the, this was one of the key battles that really swung the tide in favor of the north. And it was, uh, the bloodiest, one of the bloodiest affairs in American history for sure.
1: Maybe human history. Really? I'm sure it was up there. There, I'm there. It was probably beaten by some World War II battles for sure, but this is probably still up there with one of them. Yeah. I think the Civil War had the highest casualties of any war. Or it was the first it, it when the Civil War took place, it had more casualties than all other preceding wars put together. Some some so statistic yeah. like that.
0: I'm really curious what the traje- uh, trajectory of the country would have been had that not happened, especially the, the Civil South. War.
1: Yeah, it it probably would have just been two different countries. You think it would have been? I mean, the South is just like we're seceding, and the North has said, "No, you're not." And had the North just been like, "All right, good luck." It would have just been two well, different countries. Well,
0: I think, I mean, go back even further, and what if there was no – what if it was just a unified country from the beginning? Like, what would the American South be like if they never would have been like, you know, we're, we're seceding? What if it was truly a United States?
1: I don't know, because the the when you ask that question, you're asking, like, would – could the issue of slavery, this yes. huge divisive issue that was – that people really felt strongly on either side mm-hmm. – And in the center, too, there were pretty strong feelings. Like, could it have been resolved in any other way besides war? I don't know. Yeah, that's a great question. I'll bet there's historians out there who have tried to figure it out.
0: Well, it always cracks me up, too, when you hear people uh, in the South still say, like, it was about states' rights. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, states rights to own slaves. Exactly. <laughs> or they call Come it the on.
1: War of Northern Aggression. Yeah. yeah.
0: I mean, there was, there was obviously more to it than slavery, but that, right. you're fooling yourself if you don't think that was the key driving component. It definitely was. Anyway, um, so Robert E. Lee goes up against the Army of the Potomac. There were, uh, and of course the range, uh, is, is estimated, but 23,000 dead Union casualties. Which
1: is a quarter of the Union army. One quarter. Not just the people who were fighting in Gettysburg, the whole Union Army. A 28, quarter of them died.
0: 28,000 Confederates. Which is a third of the Confederate Army. Incredible. And this is over, I did some calculations, this I did is over too. three days. That is every five seconds, someone dying.
1: But that's if the battle raged for every second for 72 hours straight hours. Yeah,
0: which obviously it didn't. No.
1: But every five seconds, somebody died.
0: Isn't that crazy? Yeah. 700 men per hour. Uh, and then the first two days thirty five thousand died in the first two days, so that was like the bloodiest two days of any American conflict, yeah, if I'm not mistaken so
1: it was a it was a big deal, and it was not just a big deal in the number of casualties, it was a big deal in the fact that the North won this battle that it was a northern battle mm-hmm. um, because up to this point, the Confederacy had been beating the North pretty badly uh, as far as if you were looking at it as a battle by battle. If you're just taking number of battles won, right. the South was winning the Civil War at the time. And uh, Abraham Lincoln was fairly determined to use this occasion to help reinvigorate support for the war in the
0: North. Yeah. So Lee loses, retreats to Virginia mm-hmm. uh, on July 4th. And and uh, he tried to resign because of Yeah, it. he tried to. And Jefferson Davis said, no, thank you.
1: I got nobody better than you. Yeah.
0: Um, he was not pursued, which was, um, Lincoln didn't like that. And other Northern generals did not like the fact that Meade didn't like put the pedal to the metal at that point.
1: Yeah. Because he could have ended the war. Yeah. Conceivably. Had he taken out Lee's army, the rest of it, or captured him? Yeah. Like that would have been the end of the civil war right there. Yeah. True. Um, and this guy's like sitting there getting his nails done and (laughs)
0: lollygagging. So in the days following uh, the Battle of Gettysburg, the the Union soldiers were quickly buried, the ones that were immediately dead, uh, in poorly marked paupers' graves, basically. Um, or maybe not paupers' graves, but not what they deserved as soldiers. They were,
1: they were temporary graves. Yeah. They were battlefield graves. Uh,
0: and so this man named David Wills, he was an attorney in the area, said, you know what, we need uh, to do this right. And he spearheaded the effort of the National uh, cemetery with the Gettysburg Cemetery Commission.
1: It was the first Kickstarter. It was. <laughs> back in 1863.
0: <laughs> um, so he said, you know what? There's this guy, uh, Eddie Everett. You know him as Edward. <laughs> He's sort of a rock star speaker. Yeah, big time. Uh, former secretary of state, former senator, president of Harvard College. This dude brings the house down. Let's get him in here. Yeah. Cause this guy can go for like, two hours straight without notes. Without notes. Yeah.
1: And just like the most flowery prose, and he remembered every word of it. Two hour long speeches. Yeah. That were just amazing speeches that held crowds and rapt, and he had no notes in front of him.
0: Yeah, and so they agreed to delay it a little bit so he could be booked, because I guess he had another engagement.
1: No, he said, this is great, but I need more than a month oh, to prepare right. a two hour <laughs> right. speech. He wanted to do research it was so soon after the war or after the battle that they dedicated it as a cemetery that, um, the official accounts or even like non-official accounts hadn't really started to emerge yet. So yeah. he actually had to do his own interviews with yeah. people who were there to gather like the information he needed to do a, a great speech on it.
0: Well, yeah, cause part of the, uh, a large part of his speech was, um, like in our article, they said it was sort of like watching a, A TV like Dateline or Forty Eight Hours. Yeah, he had to recap the battle for everyone. Yeah, uh, because you know Twitter was down, (laughs) and no one knew what was going on. And he actually he
1: had a he had cred as a battlefield orator. Yeah, he'd given battle or um, uh, speeches at like Bunker Hill and Concord. Uh And actually, when this guy came to town and spoke at your battlefield, your battlefield was world famous from that moment on. That's how big a deal edward ever it was
0: yeah he, in fact he was so big of a deal they waited like we said because he wasn't ready and then said oh and let's also invite president lincoln right <laughs> so speak for a couple of minutes
1: and apparently they that was lincoln took no offense to it that was totally normal yeah sure at the time it was um, like a
0: ceremonial thing
1: it was and and this was being conducted by the state of pennsylvania so at the time you didn't really expect Much federal involvement or support, but they're like, no, this is a big enough deal. We, we want to invite the executive branch. That is correct, sir. Oh, you want to take a break real quick? Yeah, let's do it. Okay.
0: All right.
1: So Chuck. Um, Lincoln actually was scheduled to leave at 6 a.m. the morning of the dedication ceremony, right? Yes. And he- Get into
0: town on the same day as the show. Yeah, like noon. Yes. Which was plenty of time. Something we don't even like to do when we have our shows. It's cut, it's cutting a little close. Yeah. Um, but
1: it can be done, and he's the president, and he's got a war to conduct, so no one expected him to come in early. Lincoln actually overrode, um, that schedule. And said, no, I'm going in the day before. This is important. I don't want to miss it all together because this is a town of 2,500 and they're expecting 15,000 people to come to this dedication ceremony. Get me there early. Right. So he left the day before. Yeah. Um, and he was put up at that lawyer's house, uh, Will, uh, Willis. I can't remember his first name or Wills. The is he lawyer, the same
0: Wills who wrote the thing?
1: No, he said no, no relation. No, okay. He's also not like a, a vampire. Right, <laughs> he's still alive. <laughs> he, he wrote the first-hand account. No relation. It is me. Uh, <laughs> right, um, but he spends the night at that lawyer's house, and there is like this town is just packed. But the fact that that Lincoln wanted to do this badly enough that he went early
0: um, shows that this is this meant something to him. Yeah, and fifteen thousand people for back then—that's a large crowd. Sure. And I wondered how in the world. Who, who hears this thing? The first like, well, that, 50
1: feet of people? That was apparently another, um, advantage of Lincoln's shrill voice is that he could project it really far. Yeah, but not to 15,000. Come on. I don't know. The I would was... imagine that they had better hearing back then because they had to and because they had fewer like artificial devices that were damaging their hearing probably.
0: I think with everything. I, I, I just it, totally made that it up. It extends it a few more feet, but I imagine Ten thousand of those fifteen were like just. Partying. What do he say? What do he say? Hey, or what, maybe it's like a say? Monty Python skit, and they're relaying it back, and it changes each yeah, time. Yeah, like an Occupy
1: Wall Street thing.
0: <laughs> yeah. So uh, he gets there
1: the day before, and it, he was quite right. There were plenty of dignitaries that were supposed to be there that waited to leave that morning and um, didn't. They missed the whole thing because they they were just late. Yeah. So the day of the thing, they. Uh, They the dedication Um, Everett gives his speech and it just it brings the house down. It's exactly what everybody expects.
0: Yeah. And the guy who wrote this article pointed out that I would have been bored to tears for a a two hour speech. But Mm. apparently at the time that was like entertainment. People were were crazy for the stuff. Yeah. The longer the better.
1: Yeah. She said that they had a much uh, longer attention span because they hadn't been corrupted by television.
0: Yeah. uh, That's a bit of a leap. But sure.
1: It makes sense, though. Yeah. Remember Short Attention Span Theater on Comedy Central? I do. That was great. Indeed. Um, So Lincoln gives his speech, and a lot of hay has been made over the last century or almost, well, century and a half, of the difference in length between Lincoln's statement, Lincoln's address, and yeah. Everett's address. Uh-huh. But it's like... There's really no point in comparing them in that sense. No one expected Lincoln to speak for a very long time. They expected him to dedicate the thing with some short remarks and that Everett was going to give like a two hour speech. So this didn't surprise anybody at the time. It just seems like in retrospect when you compare the two and the power and the, um, everlastingness of, of the two speeches. Yeah. That went, that it's like, wow, he did this in only two minutes where Everett took two hours.
0: Yeah. I think, but like you said, two different things. Yeah, but it's a goals. it's a
1: myth that it was like people were like, I can't believe that was so short. Right. That's all they were expecting.
0: Yeah, agreed. Um, and in fact, it was so short. Here's a nice little tidbit. I thought uh, the official photographer for the event. Um, you know, it takes a minute to get things set up when you're taking pictures. Back then, you're not just snapping away. And uh, he took these pictures of Everett and was getting ready. To take pictures of Lincoln, and then got everything set, and Lincoln like is walking off with the mic drop, basically. That, that may be a myth as well. I think it's a great story. It is a fantastic story. There's yeah. a ton
1: of great stories out of here. Like he wrote the thing on the on the back of an envelope on the train ride there.
0: Supposedly not true.
1: No, because he was very well known as a uh, he was a practiced orator. He's a lawyer yeah. to start out with. He apparently poured over his speeches. Sure. So. The fact that he went a day early mm-hmm. to this, um, and he, he decided he wanted to use this occasion to help drum up support for the war. Yeah. He, he almost certainly wrote a, at least a draft in Washington before he left.
0: Yeah. That's what they think is that he wrote most of it, if not all of it, and then continued to work on it on the train. Right. But I don't think there was ever an envelope involved. No. Correct. I don't think so. He had his traveling secretary, or his full-time secretary with him. Mm -hmm. John Hay. Yeah, John Hay. uh, Ran it by him, I guess. Yeah. Hay was like, bravo,
1: boss, bravo. You're wonderful. Another great one. (laughs) And he went,
0: thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And Um, then they
1: they sipped their tea in stony silence for the rest of the (laughs) train ride. They had a weird relationship.
0: So should we read this
1: thing? Oh, also, this is where, you know, that whole thing was like, was Abraham Lincoln gay? He shared a bed with a man. I've never heard that. Oh, yeah. There was a very uh, well-read biography that came out years back, um, in the two thousand sometime, uh, on Abraham Lincoln. Really popular. Yeah. And in it, the biographer is talking about how, um, I think at the Gettysburg Address, he shared a bed with a man. Uh-huh. And one of the reasons why, well, the reason why... Was because the town was so cold. packed. <laughs> oh. Right. The town was so packed it, that even the president of the United States had to share a bed with somebody because there was just nowhere else for people to be. The guy who designed the, the cemetery had to sleep sitting up in somebody's like uh, front room in a chair that night, the night before the dedication because the town oh, was wow. so packed to the gills. But there was this whole like, was Abraham Lincoln gay? Was, was it an entire book? Not about him being gay. Oh, uh, okay. It was mentioned in that. People read the book and then started talking about whether he was gay. Because gotcha.
0: my book would say, Is, was President Lincoln gay? And you would open it up and it would say, who cares? <laughs> right. The end. It would be like, why did they print a thousand
1: <laughs> blank pages after that? Civil War book.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's got to be four inches thick. <laughs> yeah. And they make great door stops. Yeah. Uh, should we read this thing in full? Yeah, with a, a little...
1: Music, maybe some, something
0: patriotic? Yeah, I think we should split it in half though, as we, uh, do with our Halloween readings. Okay. Should we, what are we going with here? Yakety Sax? <laughs> <laughs> I think we use Spooky that Halloween one music. O-Tannenbaum? Ooh, O-Tannenbaum would be good. Alright, well we'll see, this is Jerry's choice. Jerry, surprise us. Do you want to start or finish? Uh, I will
1: start. Cause I have a feeling you're gonna do better than me. Is that better to finish then? Mm-hmm. Okay, go ahead. Fourscore... No, that's not right. D- <laughs> Just kidding. Sorry. <laughs> Fourscore and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Now we are engaged in a great civil war, testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure we are met on a great battlefield of that war we have come to dedicate a portion of that field as a final resting place for those who here gave their lives that this nation might live it is altogether fitting and proper that we should do this but in a larger sense we cannot dedicate we cannot consecrate we cannot hollow this ground the brave men living and dead who struggled here have consecrated it far above our poor power to add or detract. That was wonderful.
0: It was okay. All right, I'm going to bring it home. Should I do it in uh, high pitch? No. That's why I eye. figured I should go first. <laughs> bring in the helium. Uh, here we go. The world will little note nor long remember what we say here, but it can never forget what they did here. It is for us, the living, rather, to be dedicated here to the unfinished work, which they who fought here Shall not perish from the earth. Boom, Abe out,
1: and he dropped his mic. It really is the modern the modern description of a this speech is that it's a mic drop. Yeah, two
0: hundred and seventy two, two hundred seventy three, depends on what version you're looking at. Uh-huh. Uh Words. Uh, under two minutes is all he needed. Under
1: two minutes and he was even interrupted with applause five times. Oh really? And it still only took two minutes. And when, when he, when he said this, Chuck, when he gave this speech, it was totally in contrast with the way politicians or any orator at the time spoke. Yeah. The two hour spiel that Everett
0: gave. Yeah, a lot of rah rah stuff. That was the standard, standard stuff. Flowery language, uh-huh. lots of, Lofty rhetoric. Well um, admonishing the Confederacy. Yeah. Admonishing, is that the right word? Sure. Yeah. Um just a really kind of a rabble rousing type of thing.
1: But the idea that you that a politician would get up and give a plain spoken speech was new as of the moment Abraham Lincoln gave the Gettysburg Address. The yeah. the guy, the author, Gary Wills, uh the historian, not the lawyer who set the whole thing up, allegedly. Um, Not the same guy. He points out that um, Everett, what's his first name? Edward. Edward Everett gave his speech at the last moment in history when it was customary to give a speech like that. Oh, wow. Because Abraham Lincoln got on stage right after that and changed it forever in the opposite direction. And they say that um, he changed American speech for not just like speaking, not just oration, yeah. but also writing. And that Mark Twain's modern novel, Huckleberry Finn, the first uh-huh. modern novel, um, followed in the footsteps oh, of wow. the, the Gettysburg Address or the, the way of speaking and talking that, uh, Lincoln laid down in the Gettysburg Address. Like he just changed everything.
0: Wow. Yeah. All right. Well, let's take another break because I have to reflect on that. You just laid down some heavy stuff. Okay. And, uh, we'll finish up after this. Speech changer. It was. That's what you said. It was the speech changer, <laughs> um, and it was amazing. And and whoever wrote our article, who was that? Uh, Tiffany Connor. Oh, Tiffany Connor. She's great. Um, she points out that it was a time when um, they were starting to send uh, messages via telegraph. Yeah. So that also tied in that and that people were trying to get to the point a little quicker. Mm-hmm. I think because of the telegraph and, uh, You start talking to somebody just snap your fingers like, come on. Yeah. Out with it. Like you're sending a telegraph and you're a very like, gentlemen on this day, and they're like, all right, yeah, yeah, yeah. We <laughs> What's know what day um, I need
1: to go to the bathroom <laughs> is what I'm trying to say.
0: So uh, they were just striving for a more concise language. And I think, uh, Lincoln really like put a cat, uh, uh, he dotted the I.
1: Maybe even crossed the T as well. Yeah.
0: And said, like, this is the better way to talk. And it sounds even a little flowery to us, but mm-hmm. like, we should have read parts of Everett's speech. Yeah. That's where we failed.
1: We failed pretty badly.
0: <laughs> um, all right. So w- what else was different about it? It was, um, it was a pretty radical idea at the time to, cause what he kind of did with his speech, well, not what he kind of did, what he very much did was say, Let's take a big picture view of this thing. Mm-hmm. And, and they point out he doesn't talk about slavery or the Confederate Army or the Union Army. Mm-hmm. Um, he talks about things in very broad terms and basically says, you know what? The Declaration of Independence was the bomb. <laughs> that was the deal, the real deal. Right. And the Constitution is the means by which we serve that document. Yeah. Because at the time, there were Southerners going, well, slavery is not even in the Constitution.
1: Right. (laughs) It it was very much, if not that the Constitution was the guiding document of the United States government, then at least no one was saying that the um, Declaration of Independence was. Lincoln was basically saying with this speech, he was reframing it. He was saying, no. It's the the Declaration of Independence laid out the ideals. The Constitution is just the vehicle you use to get to those ideals. And let's all remember that in the Declaration of Independence, it talks about all men being created equal. Right. And uh, in today's modern world, we're just going to substitute men with humans.
0: Yeah, and and, uh, even at the time, it was obviously people weren't so far along that Lincoln was like, you know, uh, and slaves should be. Completely equal to us starting today. Like it was even a process for the North right. to, to bring about equality over time. Mm-hmm. But the, just the notion that we deserve, everyone is born and deserves equality mm-hmm. was a radical idea for sure at the time.
1: Yeah. And so, I mean, it's really worth, as I was researching this, I had to go back and reread the address a couple of times. And once I did it, really started to sink in. Yeah, me too. Finally now, in almost my 40th year on this planet, uh-huh. I can understand the Gettysburg Address. Yeah. You should not be teaching this to school children. It's totally meaningless
0: to them. Yeah, and or the break reasons- it down sentence by sentence and really explain it. Sure. Okay. You know? Now
1: if you have like, you know, um the okay, Dead teacher? poet society <laughs> teacher. <laughs> yeah. Or uh Oh, Captain, my Captain. Who is the guy that Matthew Perry played? Ron somebody? Chandler Bing. Chandler Bing was a different role. Oh. This is a teacher, like a really inspirational teacher named oh, really? something. Yeah, yeah. Um you now you're thinking of Edward, Edward James TV almost. <laughs> that was the Milagro Beanfield War. No, Stan and Deliver. And deliver. <laughs> no, that was La Bamba. <laughs> so man, we got off track. Oh. What was my point? Uh that Matthew Perry was the best friend. Oh, that like this doesn't mean anything to school children, but one of the reasons why is not because it's above their heads. Yeah. It, because this is the way we see America now. Uh huh. But the reason we see America and America government and the idea that it's by the people, of the people, for the people, and that people yeah. are created equal and that is the ideals of the founding, the founding fathers were laid out in the Declaration of Independence, and that that's the true guiding document. Um, the reason we see these things is because of the Gettysburg Address. Yeah. In these 272-ish words, he changed the way that all Americans from that point forward saw America. And as a matter of fact, um, again, Gary Wills points out that prior to the Gettysburg Address, people refler- referred to the United States in the plural form. Like, the United States are a great place to visit. Uh huh. Um, oh, afterward, a like collection it's, of states. Yes, yeah. And afterward, it became single and unified and, and a singular noun. The United States is a great place to visit. That came after the Gettysburg Address. Except for these states.
0: <laughs> right. Steer clear of these. <laughs> um, I had a great, Shakespeare teacher in college that, uh man, I wish I could remember his name because I would shout him out. But he, you know, Shakespeare's tough for most people. Mm -hmm. um He literally, every day in class, we would sit down, I think we went through like three plays a year or a quarter in one class, Mm -hmm. and we would just read the thing, and he would stop about every 30 seconds and say, here's what that means, here's Mm -hmm. what he's saying. Yeah and we would go oh that's what that means mm-hmm. then we would read the next section someone would read it he'd go here's what that means he's really saying and he would really put it in like that's great terms college kids could understand like you know when your friend does this and blah, blah blah, that's what's happening here with with uh with Horatio right and um it was just like it blew my mind because we all left with complete full understanding of like three plays at a time that's so neat and would scramble to like sign up for his his Shakespeare 2 class wow. cuz he was so awesome and I just, I don't know, it seems like such an effective way to teach when you're talking about this, these old languages, mm-hmm. you can sit around and read Chaucer all day, oh, man. but unless someone's explaining like what, what it means, because these stories are wonderful, right. amazing stories. Well, Chaucer in
1: particular too.
0: Yeah. But if you don't get it, you don't, it's not hitting home. Right. You got to like liken it to something that they identify with.
1: Yeah. Or basically completely master old or middle English. Yeah. Well, who wants to do that? Right. That's neat, man. I wish you could remember the guy's name. Is
0: it Mr. Ames? No. Mr. Barr? I think it was Mr. Dr. Carr? Dr. Bing. <laughs>
1: Doctor. That's okay.
0: So these days, uh the Gettysburg Address, there are a few different versions of it. Uh, there are at least five, they believe, versions. And I think two of them now, uh, actually written down versions, are at the Library of Congress. Mm-hmm. Are they on display? They're probably
1: on display, right? Sure. Or you can just be like, "Let me see one of the Gettysburg addresses," and they'll run off and get it. Yeah. You just got to put a fifty in their (laughs) front pocket.
0: Uh, so you can actually look at these, and they're mostly the same, except for just some little revisions here and there that he made.
1: I guess post, um, post address. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Because he knew the document would live on.
1: Sure. And if they had drafts, this this confused me for a second, but I had to wrap my head around it. If he had drafts before, then it would have proven unequivocally that he had written it before he, he was on the train. Right. But the fact that that myth is still around is because there's no fact to counterbalance it. So that means that all the drafts came after. There were copies that he made. Right. Okay. That I imagine his secretary wrote down himself. Uh, I, I think he gave him some to him, but yeah, I'm sure John Hay was responsible for it. But John Hay had one that is yeah. in the Library of Congress, right?
0: Yeah, but it's funny that uh, you don't think about like, I need like four copies of this, so start writing, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, yeah. get out the pen.
1: And would it kill you to draw some rabbits doing some weird <laughs> things in the margins?
0: So what about the reaction? Um I think there's been a lot of disagreement depending on who you talk to. Some people say, in the moment at the place, it wasn't super well received, but other people are saying like, nah, that's a myth.
1: Yeah. Apparently it's a, another big myth that especially he walked off and was like, man, they really hated that. I blew it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, he knew that it, it did exactly what he wanted it to. Yeah. He wanted to drop the mic and he did. And supposedly the, the crowd was pretty happy with it.
0: And people are like, why did he drop that corn cob on <laughs> his way up <laughs> the stage? Why was he talking into it the whole time?
1: <laughs> <It's> so weird. <laughs> and why did it amplify his voice? That was <laughs> the most surprising part. Uh well, who cares if they liked it or not at the time? We love it now.
0: Yeah, go crazy over it.
1: Sure. And clearly, we've been like breathlessly talking about how great the Gettysburg Address is this whole time. We haven't even entertained the other side that it sucked. <laughs>
0: You know what else we didn't do was the very thing we said it would be a great way to teach people. We should have read it, and after every few sentences, broken down what it meant.
1: That's not our job.
0: Right. We're not going to do all the work.
1: Do you want to? No. Okay. Well, We'll let the teachers do it.
0: Yeah, I encourage. This should be in classrooms. Did we say anything really
1: bad in this one? Yeah, this is a teaching aid. Watch this. Turn record over (laughs) now. Bing. (laughs) Remember that? Oh, yeah. Uh, if you want to know more about the Gettysburg Address, ask your teacher. And uh, you can also go on to our great website, HowStuffWorks.com, and type in Gettysburg Address. No H at the end. We're not in Scotland. Nope. And uh, since I said Scotland, it's time for listener mail.
0: By the way, quickly, I uh, after the other day talking about the Brule's Rules on sushi... Yeah. I went and watched it again like three times.
1: Yeah, I still haven't seen it. Did you Did you watch Bag Boy that that one listener wrote oh, in no, about? No, I still didn't see that one. I looked it up. I have it sitting on a Google search. I just haven't had time to to give any attention to it. Uh, Maybe in the
0: fall. I remember what it was specifically about it that really killed me was is that he says Shushi. said <laughs> <instead> of sushi, <laughs> and he <laughs> intros saying like we have a a chef here to make some delicious sushi sandwiches. <laughs> Sushi sandwiches. I love that guy. Uh, all right. This is from, uh, I know you remember, Kathleen of Cooper Cats, the PR agency.
1: Oh, yeah. Our former PR agency.
0: Yes. Many years ago, uh, we farmed out our PR to this great company in New York, Cooper Cats. Mm-hmm. And Kathleen worked there. Still does. Mm-hmm. And she was awesome and super nice. Right. And uh, she wrote this in uh, about something she's working on this year to her heart, which I think is pretty important. Uh Hey, guys. And she had some nice things to say early on. Flowery rhetoric, like Edward Everett. Just catching up with this, but I won't bore you with that. Um, hey, guys. Uh, it wasn't boring to us, by the way. <laughs> I just don't want to, you know. Um, hey, guys. I was writing because of uh, one of our clients nowadays uh, is Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. Uh, they're the oldest and largest private cancer center in the U.S. And we're beginning a big public awareness uh, slash press push around misconceptions um, and misperceptions and myths about clinical trials uh, that people have about them. Uh, while this is for a client, it's really important to me. Uh, I've learned a lot of things. One, only 4% of patients participate in clinical trials. 4%. Wow. That's alarmingly low. Yeah. Uh, even though they're at the root of every current and future advance in treatment, uh, people have negative impressions of clinical trials, uh, and that uh, changes as soon as they learn more about them. Uh, other things I learned uh, through my work with MSK... Um, Things I learned about my work with Memorial Sloan Kettering, I had no idea about before the trials. Uh, they are not just uh, for last resorts, clinical trials. Many of the best treatments are offered early in treatment uh, through clinical trial participation. Uh, clinical trials are much more targeted today uh, through genetic screening, uh, tumor testing, and precision medicine. Uh, doctors have a much better grasp of what works and what will not. Uh, almost no clinical trials for cancer involve placebos. Uh, though most people are concerned about this, like yeah, like
1: I don't want I want the drug, yeah, yeah.
0: Um, P.S. And, S. Yeah, exactly. And cost is a huge concern for people thinking about enrolling, and yet almost all out-of-pocket costs for treatment are covered. Uh, so that is from Kathleen. Yeah, and she makes some good points there, Chuck. She does. I never really thought about I it. I think we just got P.R. I think we did. <laughs> uh, P.S. If you happen to need a good cry, uh, Memorial Sloan Kettering. And I do not, by the way, Kathleen. Uh, they just wrapped up a two-week partnership with Humans of New York. You ever oh, go to that man. website? Yeah. Man, they're great. Uh, it's an incredible photo documentary of the world of pediatric cancer. Ugh. Jeez. Uh, so many of the miracles documented were a result of clinical trials, which is why I'm so passionate about pushing this information. And Kathleen just had her second little baby. Oh, congratulations. Kathleen. And uh, important stuff. So look into clinical trials, and maybe we should do a, a show on them one day. We
1: definitely should. Yeah. I really am surprised that we haven't already. Have we not? No, we I know we, we did one on, on it. human experimentation, but we probably talked more about the sordid side of it, like yeah, section and those, stuff. The,
0: the gruesome. Oh yeah, we did,
1: and we talked about like you know the regulations on people who are human guinea pigs. Yeah, we should we, we'll do one on clinical trials.
0: Yeah, so that's awesome, Kathleen. It's cool when you can do work that you yeah can PR with a good feeling, and we're sorry about our PR episode. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
1: not. I stand by that.
0: No, I think it was a great episode, but it probably should have been called uh, The Legend of Edward Bernays, unless <laughs> this is what VR is like.
1: <laughs> it was a fun episode, wasn't it? It surely was. Uh, if you want to know more about us, you can hang out with us on Twitter, at SYSK Podcast. Same goes for Instagram, where you can see pictures of our pets and stuff like that. Uh, you can also hang out with us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash know, And you can send us emails to stuffpodcast at com. Lastly, hang out with us at our home on the web, our playhouse for the internet, StuffYouShouldKnow.com.
0: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.